0: another episode of out of the blank podcast dr victory it's a pleasure to have you on the show would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening
1: sure i'm dr kelly victory i'm a physician i'm a a trauma and emergency physician by training Um, although i've spent the last couple of decades of my career really immersed in public health I have a specialty in mass casualty and in disaster preparedness and response, Um, so I was well positioned when uh, this particular international crisis hit. uh, The last three and a half years of this pandemic are right in my sweet spot, Uh, so I have a lot to say about how it was handled or or mishandled, as it were, Uh, and I'm happy to talk about uh, many of the things that happened. Uh, Robbie, during this um this pandemic experience, which went what far, far beyond our response to a microscopic virus.
0: Can I ask what your perspective was on like institutions of health, the media, all of this before the pandemic?
1: Well, it's a great question. I actually um have had a healthy distrust of the media for a long time. Um, this isn't my first rodeo um with with the pandemic. Uh, I was quite vocal in other uh, sort of discussions or, or uh, conversations in public health, including uh, ones around uh, sub- different substances, including marijuana, whether or not it should be legalized, um, I've been very vocal with regard to gun violence and whether the issue is really uh, access to firearms or something else. Um, so I and I've seen the way that the media has been co-opted um, by other forces, including the federal government, but other other forces. Uh, likewise, I had a healthy distrust for big pharma. Um, and big pharma has been a nemesis of mine for quite a while, with regard to price gouging, the, um, the the use of middlemen, as we call them, in pharmacy that has driven up the cost of pharmaceuticals. Um, I think there's a lot of propaganda out there. So I didn't exactly go into this thinking that um, we lived in truly a free society where there was honest uh, and full disclosure. Um, from the media or from big pharma or from the uh, the biopharmaceutical um, complex, if you would. What was a wake-up call to me, on the other hand, was how dishonest, corrupt, and fraudulent the material is coming out of our storied uh, medical journals. Uh, journals like the Lancet and the British Journal of Medicine and JAMA, the the areas, the journals, the scientific or I thought scientific journals to which I would go to get the the real source. I always patted myself on the back thinking I'm I'm not that doctor who just reads, you know, the abstract. I actually go and read the study and I go to the journals and I don't just buy hook, line and sink or whatever the pharmaceutical company tells me. But what's become absolutely glaringly obvious during this pandemic is that the, the journals are essentially owned by Big Pharma. Um, it is pure propaganda, with rare exception, what we are reading in those journals. They decide, Big Pharma decides, what studies, quote unquote, will get published. And as importantly, they decide which ones won't get published. And anything that speaks against their narrative will never see the, the light of day. So um, I, that was a big eye opener for me. And it's made me really question much of what I've done in my career 30 plus career as a physician.
0: I had to go look at ResearchGate and all these other places to try and find these articles overseas that were saying a different narrative than because in the beginning there was nothing but articles talking about vaccines are good and all these types of things. And there was no other dissenting views. And there was one article that really kind of took me back and maybe question everything, which was that smoking could help prevent COVID-19. That was one of the articles, I swear to you. And I saw that and I go, that just doesn't make sense to me. And if you look at some of these articles on PubMed, I don't know if it's PubMed, but the NIH website, they have author affiliations. So if you click those, there's like Pfizer, there's these corporations that are funding there. And I had people that were non-pandemic related who were still sponsored by Pfizer on my show. And I asked them, I go, is that common? And they go, yeah, a lot of academic uh, research is influenced by Pfizer. I go, "Is is, is that not a red flag to anybody about like academic influence into research or any type of academic integrity on what you guys are researching as well too? This is the same stuff that happened with like tobacco in their history.
1: Oh, yeah. I, conflicts of interests are absolutely rampant. Um, you are obligated to disclose any conflicts or affiliations uh, somewhere in your study. And it generally appears in the very, very fine print at the end of the study after all of the references are listed. If someone died and made me king, I would make those uh, affiliations, those conflicts posted above the title of the dang article. So that I could decide if I even want to read this "quote unquote" study, because they are absolutely bought and paid for. Um, and on top of it, much of the uh, you know much of the study design, for example, is specifically to uh, make sure to guarantee a specific outcome. There's no way that your average individual, for example reading a study about hydroxychloroquine and reading the conclusions on that study whether or not it was effective against covid would have any way of really understanding how flawed this study design was in many of the cases these studies were designed specifically to show failure of these medications, they either wildly overdosed the patients or wildly underdosed the patients or didn't use it for the proper uh, duration of treatment or they started the treatment too late. It's very clear. Only from somebody who knows the science, who knows how these drugs are meant to be prescribed, who would even pick up on that. So your average layperson, you know, in their defense, reads a study. They're reading it from what they have every reason to believe is a legitimate, uh, you know, uh, well-respected medical journal. They read the conclusion and they say, wow, this this drug does or doesn't work for, for X, Y, or Z. Now, and again, even myself as a, as a career physician, I really was fooled by a lot of it. And now I'm going back. And as I said, tragically, really questioning many of the things that I did during my career, because I don't know who I can trust any longer.
0: Do you you know why they really pushed vaccines and no other types of drugs as forms of treatment, not even researching really any of them in the beginning? I mean, I still have not forgave the media for what they've done to ivermectin, mostly because I don't think there's a route back for it. And I necessarily wouldn't have even taken it anyway, but I look at it like if someone's sick and you care about helping that person, you would try and look at any – way or just research anything to be able to make sure that they can get over whatever illness that they're fighting but there was just this push to this vaccine and any other talk whether it was ivermectin with my i had an episode with pierre Corey. can't find it on youtube they flagged that immediately they've done that to so many creators and they're still doing it to people that are still talking about it they have not updated their terms of service where i'm like How many people are in on this horse-paced labeling that's going out there? Because there's people that have never heard the drug before, and that's their first interaction with that, and there's no fixing that. It's a first impression.
1: Well, a lot to unpack there. So let's start with what you we just were ending with, which is this issue, the kibosh that was put on many of these very safe, very inexpensive, highly effective medications. Uh, Two that most people are aware of now are number one, ivermectin, and two, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, Ivermectin has been FDA approved for use in human beings for decades. Hydroxychloroquine, same. Hydroxychloroquine was FDA approved for use in humans in 1942, okay? Seven decades ago. Both of the drugs have been on the WHO's list of essential medications worldwide for decades. They have extremely good safety profiles. They are dirt cheap, available over the counter in almost every country other than the United States. Uh, and used by hundreds of millions of people on an annual basis. Um, Hydroxychloroquine is a treatment for malaria, uh, as well as for systemic lupus. Um, We use ivermectin to treat intestinal parasites in humans and skin conditions in humans and have, again, for decades. So when it became very, very clear and with good reason that hydroxychloroquine would be effective for uh, treatment against COVID-19. And why did we know that? Well, we knew that because back in 2005, Anthony Fauci and the NIH wrote a big paper, a big study on the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine in treating SARS-CoV-1 that it hit in 2003. Very, very similar Virus, and we had good reason to believe it would therefore be similarly effective against COVID-19. It's a strong antiviral. It helps uh, zinc get into the cells where zinc can actually kill off the virus. So we had good reason to believe hydroxychloroquine would work. Similarly, ivermectin, very, very strong antiviral properties, anti-inflammatory properties. And again, because it is such a good safety profile, Physicians who were thinking out of the box um, said, wow, let's try some of these simple, what we call repurposed drugs. The concept of using a medication for an indication other than it was initially designed for is a cornerstone of medicine. Um, if you read the studies, somewhere upwards of probably one third of all prescriptions written are written for something Quote off label, meaning we're using the drug for something other than what it was initially designed for. We have seizure medicines that we use for chronic pain. We have blood pressure medications that we give for migraines. We have cancer chemotherapy agents that we use for skin conditions. We do this all the time. So the concept of off label is really, really important in medicine because, as you said, once you know something's safe, Once you know that the drug is safe for use in humans, why in the world wouldn't you try it if you're, you know, finding out that somebody is gravely ill, you're being told this person there's nothing we could do for this person. If you have reason to believe that a safe medicine might help them, why wouldn't you try it? Uh, You're not obligated to prove ahead of time that it definitely will work as long as you know it won't hurt them. Uh, and so the idea that we were told we couldn't do that, that's the first time in, in my entire knowledge in the history of medicine that we were told specifically, you can't use these highly effective drugs. And instead, we had this all out assault launched by the mainstream media, big pharma, and a lot of three initial agencies, FDA, CDC, NIH, Well, all of a sudden are acting as if these drugs, you know, were very unsafe, or that it was, you know, you were going rogue to use them, and that you know we were going to be harming people. The idea that ivermectin is only a drug used uh, in veterinary medicine—I mean, it's absolutely preposterous. Um, and there's a good reason I will tell you why entire continents like Africa, that had just as much COVID as the rest of the world, and is essentially unvaccinated they did stunningly well in the covid pandemic why because the vast majority of their populations are either on hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin or had ready access to it because of malaria and the preponder- the issues surrounding intestinal parasites in that part of the world
0: why do you think it had to be pfizer like why were these vaccines so important i mean i looked at the relationship and the kind of That long relationship that they have with Pfizer. And a lot of people don't know this, but it's in the movie Wolf of Wall Street when they're complaining about how much money they spent on a dinner. And he said it was the Pfizer clients. A lot of people had not heard that name until the pandemic, but then you kind of start looking back and they even bought an old bioweapons plant called the Vigo ordinance plant. I came across this doing research for a whole nother subject. And I saw Pfizer bought it. I was like, Wait, they sold it to Pfizer? You bought an old bioweapons plant? That's like buying the Amityville house. You can buy any property, you do whatever you want, but you specifically bought that.
1: Well, Pfizer and you know Big Pharma and certainly um, others who are in bed with Big Pharma, which includes people like Bill Gates have had um, their sights set on an M, you know, developing and launching an mRNA platform. Messenger RNA as a platform has been around for a long time. Scientists have been working on creating different delivery systems using messenger RNA uh, for a long time. Unfortunately, they have failed every single time, sometimes with disastrous consequences, where, for example, all of the animals in the study died i believe that this pandemic was really about making mrna a household word they were going to mainstream it and they decided the way they were going to do it was by mandating it and getting it into the arms of as many people around the globe as possible and the only way they could do that was if they number one Got it out there very, very quickly. And as of today, as I sit here today, whatever it is, you know, May 26th, 2023, there still is no FDA approved vaccine for COVID-19 available in the United States. They are only experimental. They are still only available under emergency use authorization. And in order to get that emergency use authorization that allows you to fast track it and sideline, you know, sidestep uh, and avoid doing all of the prolonged safety testing and animal testing and things, you know, the reason your average vaccine takes six to eight years to come to market, the only way you can get that emergency use is if you say two things. Number one, we think that there's a good chance this will be effective in stopping you know, people from contracting this illness. And number two, there is no other treatment. And that is why they couldn't allow us to talk about hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or fluvoxamine or steroids. Because if we could prove that there are other treatments out there, then the emergency use authorization would have been at risk and they wouldn't have been able to foist these vaccines on every, you know, person in the public and mandate them, coerce people, shame people into getting them. So start with that. That's why they couldn't allow us to, or they they absolutely would not allow us to say, and they would never admit that there were other treatments because it threatened their emergency use. Why do they have such a, uh, you know, a, a fetish with or obsession with mRNA, uh, it's several reasons. Number one, they see it as a very good platform for delivering a lot of things, for doing genetic manipulation of the population on a lot of things. Once people accept this as, quote, safe and effective and think that it's routine and there's nothing bizarre about injecting yourself uh, with a genetic therapy, then they can start modifying a lot of other things that they might want to modify. They can modify fertility rates. They can modify a lot of genetic uh, traits. So you can do a lot of things with mRNA. So I think that there was really this was a you know a test balloon, if you will, to see how readily they could get people worldwide to accept a fundamentally you know unproven technology. And then the the crowning bullet, the last piece of it is that uh, Pfizer obviously and Moderna have patents for these vaccines that they co-own with the CDC. People like Anthony Fauci talk about a conflict of interest. There are people within the federal government Who are making millions of dollars off of patents that they own in conjunction with big pharma Uh, i think that is absolutely unconscionable uh, and really reflects a conflict of interest um, that cannot be tolerated
0: why do you think they just double down even though they're looking at a lot of evidence that we know now and even other people are dissenting views but they hide behind the words experts say (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, who's the experts? So like you can point it back to Robert Malone when he was on Joe Rogan and the article that came out after that, that said over 400 doctors say that this guy's a liar and all this type of stuff. You look at those, some of them are dentists, some of like, they're not what, but they hide behind like a, a label or a brand. And every article I see now say experts say this is the new effective way and experts say this, trust the experts. I'm like, you just damaged that word. You brought it into the public's realm, and now people can't trust that. They can't trust medical institutions anymore. I think more people are going to be looking into other things, uh, especially – we all knew stereotypes of big pharma and media, but we dropped that in the beginning. And Now I think a lot of people are starting to pick it up and really see where I guess the hands are at play.
1: Well, you can certainly get consensus in medicine or in anything, Robbie. If you silence anyone who says anything, you know, opposite, you know, you can get four hundred doctors to agree that Robert Malone or that Kelly Victory or Peter McCullough are are quacks or whatever. If you shut the other thousand up, um, you know. So this was this could never have happened were it not for the egregious censorship. That happened with the federal government in consort with big tech. Um, it allowed all the social media platforms. We have very clear evidence. This isn't conspiracy theory. We have very clear evidence through the Twitter files and through email exchanges that the federal government was absolutely working hand in glove with big tech and the social media platforms to silence the voices of anyone who dissented anyone who dared to question the mainstream narrative. So you can get consensus very easily as long as you silence everybody who opposes you. Uh, We really, during this pandemic, there was not a lot of daylight between what happens in North Korea and Cuba and in the former Soviet Union with regard to silencing the voices of people who dared to question Um, God help, you know, if Galileo had been living during the time of social media, there's a good chance we would all still think that the earth was flat because they would have shut him up uh, and he would never have been able to get out the truth. Um, Being called a heretic is nothing new to your average physician who has um, any real, real intestinal fortitude, any real integrity. We have always in um, medicine has either, you know, there's no such thing really as accepted science. Science is changing all the time. And the way we generally get to the best answers is by allowing robust vigorous debate amongst physicians, robust debate amongst scientists saying, wait a minute, did you look at this? Or what about this? Or this might be a confounding factor. Um, You've misinterpreted the data or you've uh, misunderstood the risks or whatever it is, but that was not allowed for the entire three and a half years of this. And so the average American, your average lay person was led falsely, To believe that there was consensus led falsely to believe that there was just a handful of doctors who, you know, who thought, quote unquote, that masks don't work when we have in fact known for decades that masks do nothing to stop the spread of a respiratory virus, the concept of social distancing totally made up construct uh, and absolutely a fool's errand to believe that standing you know six feet or 10 feet or 20 feet away from somebody is going to somehow stop the transmission of respiratory viruses. Uh, I said from the beginning that the lockdown would do far more damage than it would be worth. There's a reason we've never used lockdowns in the past. They are absolutely devastating to society. They destroy the lives and livelihoods of leagues of people who are at essentially zero risk uh, from the thing you're trying to control, and in this case, COVID. And that was the case. And we knew from the beginning that children were at such a de minimis risk from COVID as to be fundamentally indistinguishable from zero. Uh, Yet we allowed the powers that be to destroy three years of their education. We've created an entire generation of kids who are afraid of others whose uh, issues with substance abuse, depression, anxiety uh, are just off the charts, Uh, it will take decades before we unwind this debacle.
0: I think you see a lot of people now that are going to be homeschooling their kids. Um, I know quite a few friends that took their kids out of public school and decided that I'm just going to homeschool my kids and teach them. Um, Some of them are teachers, so that's good. But it just gets to a point where it's like, yeah, are we just going to have a whole divide now? I mean, we already have like the point of public school, in my opinion, was like you get bunch of different cultures around you. You get to learn a little bit more people experience and stuff like that. But I mean, we're all getting stuck into echo chambers, much like you see on social media. And I feel like that's only going to get worse with homeschool in a sense, but it also might be better because you might be getting a different experience than necessarily a public school might actually teach you. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I started questioning more, especially like we all know the stereotype of media, but look at how they got uh, Sanjay Gupta on Sesame Street talking about the vaccine to kids where i'm like you really have to watch now what your kids are watching like that's just to me that's stepped over a boundary i don't even have kids but i was like that's a really like that's a complete overreach well i
1: think that that's really where where things have gone off the rails with uh with the public school system uh they the schools were supposed to act to educate your children on the basics—reading, writing, arithmetic—you know, civics, geography, those sorts of things—and they have failed at that. They have failed wildly. We are falling behind every year when compared uh, to the rest of the globe. They spend all of their time now pushing social justice agendas, uh, you know, equality, equity agendas, gender studies. Um, teaching a profound hatred for this country. I defy you to find a kid in public school now who actually can recite the Pledge of Allegiance or even believes that it's the right thing to do. Um, When you watch, you know, whoever it is, you watch some mainstream media person out on the street asking basic civics questions to, to people who are educated in this country, adults, and you ask them the basic things, you know, what are the three branches of government You know who's the vice president? Though the the, you know who did we fight? You know who fought whom in the Civil War? They cannot answer the most basic questions. That is a failure of our education system. Um, We have got to get back to that. So whether you choose to do it at home and teach your kids at home. Uh, that's where you know the the teach the schools were supposed to educate in this different coursework parents and and your society that your your larger family circle unit was supposed to teach you things like morals and ethics and those kinds of things we've really muddied the water and i think that this pandemic brought that to light perhaps more than ever before um so whatever kids lose in terms of social interaction by being schooled at home i think they will gain in terms of getting real education.
0: Were you surprised about the social divide that happened with this pandemic? It seems like now people are lumped into camps of like vaxxer, anti-vaxxer. You're always hearing that. Like if you're an anti-vaxxer, I guess you're labeled a right-wing conspiracy theorist, even though you're just asking to look at data or just question some things. I got called that many a times, which I was like, what evidence do you have to really support that? But there became a social thing with getting your shot. had a person at my work, I work at a gym, come up to me, goes, you didn't get your shot? I was like, no. I was like, I'm 25, I'm healthy, I beat COVID in three days, what's the point of me getting it? And he just goes, because it's your civic duty. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you don't care about people? I was like, I care about people. And he goes, "Uh, well, you got to get your shot then. And I'm just like, do you care about the people in China? He goes, of course I do. I go, what are you doing to help them? And he kind of just stared at me. I was like, I'm not trying to like upset you or debate you. I'm just asking simple questions, the same that you're doing to me. But we can't even have that discussion now.
1: Well, it, th- there's no question that um, that this pandemic and the way it was managed was incredibly divisive. I think that was part of the goal uh, was divide the groups. This is the way that we always get, you know, people gain more power. There are many, you know, there's sort of a playbook for how you gain pr- power very quickly. Number one is to drive people into a position of fear because people who are fearful will do almost anything to make the fear stop or to feel that they've been You know, if you take a a baby, uh, a, a newborn infant, and you wrap it in swaddling, you know, you wrap it up tightly in swaddling, that baby will lose control of its own arms and legs, but somehow feels safer because it's wrapped up tightly. That's very much what happened during this pandemic. People lost autonomy. They lost complete and total control of their own bodies, but somehow tragically felt safer because the government was looking after them. And that when you take people who don't buy into that, who are willing to ask questions, who are willing to say, "Mm, I don't know, I'm a little more circumspect or I'm a little more skeptical about this. I think I'll wait and see. Those people then are very, very threatening to the people who are tied up in swaddling. So you're right. The masks, vaccines, social distancing, these all became virtue signaling. You might as well have worn a clove of garlic around your neck to identify yourself as, you know, which camp you were in, uh, because it became very clear from a mile away. Either you were that person wearing your mask dutifully in the terminal at the airport, or you weren't. You were that person who was kind of walking along with your mask hanging over your ear going, what the heck is this all about? And I think that unfortunately, people have lost critical thinking skills, again, something that people are supposed to learn in school critical thinking, you're supposed to question, you're supposed to question the premise for all of these things and you know, say, does this actually make sense? And what we saw during this pandemic was people, including a lot of people, the majority of people in my own profession in healthcare, who were absolutely incapable of critical thinking and of pushing back and saying, wait a minute, This doesn't comport with what we've known uh, over decades. This doesn't comport with what uh, the science, the actual science would lead us to do. Why are we engaging in this silliness? Instead, physicians who are largely employed, employed by large hospital systems or large physician groups said, you know, I'll I'll just go along or I'll keep my mouth shut or, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. And that, without that buy-in, without that complicity of my own profession, this could never have happened.
0: What do you think about the division when it came to people moving to different states? It seems like people decided to move somewhere that, I guess, best fit their views on the whole pandemic. I know a lot of people that moved to Florida. I live in Maryland, so right now nobody talks about any of it. But you see an occasional mask here and there. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on just people moving to different states.
1: Well, you know, people people move, Robbie, for a lot of reasons. You know, people will leave a state because they don't like the tax rates. Uh, People will will move to a different place because they don't like the uh, the approach of the public school system or they don't like, you know, the laws about guns, uh, um, those sorts of things. And so I think it's perfectly reasonable for people to make that decision uh, with regard to the response to this public health. state or crisis, whatever you wanted to call it. Um, what I think is tragic is that again we are seeing the country get more and more divided. You could almost cleave the country in two and say, you know, we'll make 25 states, you know, red and 25 states blue, and pick up and move and go to the area that really represents where you stand. Uh, I would end up in a state that I, you know, had very liberal gun laws that didn't uh, tread on people's civil liberties when it came to things like pandemics. Uh, That had a very conservative school system, uh, you know, and had low tax rates and demanded that people uh, work to to get any sort of uh, public assistance. And we'd have a lot of law enforcement. And I'm guessing there would be other people who would want to you know, go somewhere where they've defunded the police and uh, and they, they're they happy to pay high taxes as long as the government takes care of their every need. Um, so it, it really we are at the point, I think, where this country is about to be literally uh, cloven in two because of uh, how disparate our our ideas are.
0: You think the narrative's turning at all? I'm seeing a lot more. And I don't know if it's just because of Elon Musk. I know people give him a lot of crap, but I think he's doing He's doing all right when it came to at least getting some different perspectives in there. I see a lot more things about vaccine side effects now being talked about when before I had two vaccine lawyers on two with completely different perspectives, but now you can actually talk about it. I think on YouTube, they updated it to where you can mention side effects if it's you that are experiencing it. But even then, I still don't feel comfortable doing a vaccine episode or anything like that because I don't know. They just ban everything at this point.
1: Will they ban whatever, you know, th- this will likely get kicked off just, you know, as soon as you post my name. Uh, that's the nature of the beast. Um, I have been censored from the very, very beginning. I was one of the first people out there who got kicked off of all social media for daring to uh, to talk about the actual origins of the virus back at the end of January lab, of 20. Yeah, they just did yeah, January twenty twenty.
0: April 19th, they did the investigation and said that there's more evidence to call from the lab. I went back to the people that called me conspiracy theorist on air when I mentioned it. And I was like, remember this? They blocked me. I was like, what? Come on. Like, I'm just saying we should have looked into it.
1: No, exactly. So I said that from the very beginning. But with regard to the narrative changing, yes. Well, a couple of things. Number one, um, more and more people. Simply cannot hide from the truth because more and more people on both sides of the aisle, uh, vaccinated or not, know someone or themse- or they themselves have had a vaccine issue. Uh, the data are irrefutable. No one, you know, it's tough, really. You'd have to really have your head deep in the sand to not acknowledge that we are seeing a tragic increase in incidence of cancer, these turbo cancers, sudden deaths. It's not just the myocarditis and pericarditis. It's young, healthy athletes who are having issues. It's more and more high-profile people who you, know, you just can't hide it uh, because people are being sidelined, whether it's in their singing career or their athletic career. You have people, you know, you have a Damar Hamlin who has a cardiac arrest on live television, you know, a national television. So part of it's that. Part of it's just that the data are so overwhelming that people can't can't ignore it. The other part of it, or another part of it, is that people are, some of them, are frantically trying to get on the right side of history. It's amazing how quickly people want to rewrite what they said or did. Um, You'll hear people say, well, we never said the vaccines were going to stop you from getting COVID. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, yeah, 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 you said it, and you said it over and over and over again. Or they'll say, we never said the vaccines would stop you from spreading it to others and you know the uh, they forget the power of uh, of the internet that you cannot we have the videos we heard you all say it we heard you call for not only the marginalization of the unvaccinated but in some cases the incarceration of the unvaccinated we were told by many many public leaders many public figures people in hollywood people in the sports arenas who are saying if you're not vaccinated, you shouldn't be able to travel or go to school or be out in public. You know, you're you're a killer, you're selfish, all of these things. And now we have the CDC, the FDA, and all of the vaccine manufacturers readily admitting the COVID-19 vaccines do not prevent you from contracting COVID, nor do they prevent you from spreading COVID to others. And there is not a single study that compellingly shows that they ever decreased your risk of hospitalization or death. Uh, So I think that now that that is becoming, you know, it's out there, what could possibly be the rationale ever for having mandated a vaccine? Think about the number of people who either lost their jobs couldn't finish school, couldn't attend a wedding or a funeral or travel or whatever it was because they didn't get vaccinated. Now to find out, now everyone acknowledges they didn't work anyway and there was no rationale for a mandate. Or on the flip side, think about the people who did take a vaccine against their better judgment, against what they wanted to do because they had to keep a job to pay their mortgage or to feed their kids. And those people who ended up vaccine injured how angry, how how absolutely resentful those people should be. So when you talk about healing this country or the divide that has occurred as a result, you're hard pressed to find a way forward when so many people have been harmed.
0: Why do you think some people who got the vaccine shot are still trying to get people to get the vaccine shot, people who haven't gotten it? I've noticed it and I'm like, is that just, you, you regret it and you don't want to be the only one that got it like it just doesn't make sense
1: yeah hey, in the words of mark twain it is easier to fool someone than to uh convince them they've been fooled um people don't like to be duped people don't like to acknowledge i was an idiot i made a bad decision i was in fear And i acted irrationally Uh, i was coerced i drank the kool-aid that's hard for people to say it's the right thing for them to say but it's tough and a lot of people don't want to say it so instead they go the other way you know the the old adage misery loves company um and they don't want to say i did something stupid or without uh really being very thoughtful and so the best thing i can do is keep pushing it on others it's there It's the guy who jumps in the swimming pool at the wedding with his clothes on and then, you know, says, "Come on, everybody, everybody's doing it. And you're saying, no, actually everybody isn't doing it. You're the only one who looks like a fool. Uh, and but this is human nature. And I do not wish anything bad on people who got vaccinated. In fact, I've said many, many times and will continue to say, uh, as much as I would like to spend the next year doing, you know, and I told you so, victory lap. Um, because everything I said from the beginning was right. The, the reality is there are a lot of people out there suffering, suffering really bad side effects from these vaccines, um, and physically as well as in their, you know, emotionally and psychologically. And I think it is incumbent upon us as physicians to rally around the same way we did with COVID, rally around now with COVID vaccine injuries and say, what are some things we can do? Uh, what drugs could be repurposed? What treatments might we try to unwind or to mitigate some of the damage that's been done to people?
0: You know, if that vaccine injury program has actually paid out any money yet?
1: As far as I know, they they wouldn't have paid any money out in the United States because the uh, vaccine manufacturers are covered by blanket liability. Uh, immunity They they have liability protection. That's part of what happens with the emergency use authorization. There is no liability, at least up until the point that we are able to prove in court that there was fraud. Uh, If we can prove that the big pharmacy companies, the manufacturers engaged in fraud, then their liability protection would likely go away. Um, I believe this is a big reason also why they were pushing so hard to get the vaccines on the childhood vaccine schedule, because in anticipation of the EUA going away once the emergency is over and there would be no longer at some point justification to have the emergency use authorization in place, if the vaccines are on the childhood vaccination schedule, they are then again granted full protection against liability any vaccine manufacturer any vaccine that's on the childhood schedule cannot uh, be sued for for liability cannot have a, um, a claim against it they have liability protection and so i they have been working very very hard to try to keep these vaccine manufacturers protected so our best hope really is for aggressive lawsuits That would be able to expose and prove fraud, because at that point, there may be some recourse for the people who have been injured.
0: Do you believe the percentage of people they say got vaccinated?
1: Great question. Um, No, I don't. The um, this and here's why the CDC. Their number is 92%. They say that 92% of all Americans have been vaccinated, leaving just 8% of us in the uh, what I call the control group. Um, So 8%, they say, are unvaccinated. A recent uh, Pew Research poll uh, said that actually 75% of Americans are vaccinated and that a full 25%, one quarter, are not. Uh, I had this discussion with Dr. Peter McCullough the other day, and I believe that we will never really know what those numbers are because early on, many, many people had a reason to be dishonest about their vaccination, that they'd gotten vaccinated. Many people lied because... of their requirements for their job or because they wanted to travel or whatever it was they wanted to do. And as you must know, there are plenty of uh, fake vaccine cards out there, for example. So early on, a lot of people were saying they were vaccinated when they weren't. Now, fast forward three and a half years with all of the data that's come out, there are a fair number of people who have motivation to lie the other way, who did get vaccinated, but are embarrassed by it and don't want to acknowledge that they were duped or that they bought into it uh, and did something that was perhaps foolish or uh, had deleterious side effects. So there are many people saying, oh, no, I I, didn't, I never got that. Yeah, I, 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 wasn't, I didn't fall for that. So frankly, I'm not sure we will ever have good numbers uh, about who got vaccinated and who didn't. And it may only be by watching the health effects over time who falls prey to some of these conditions, whether it's uh, autoimmune issues or aggressive cancers or cardiac uh, side effects, whatever it is. But I don't think we'll ever have a good idea of who actually got these vaccines.
0: Do you think that's going to mess up even accountability if we ever do get like a committee or something to look through? Like if RFK Jr., I know he's talking about a COVID Um, investigation or committee to look through some of this stuff. But when it comes to accountability, I mean, the, the statistics are all off. You can't really trust any of the numbers. We don't know what the real numbers are probably going to be. So, I mean, I feel like that just messes with anybody paying the price for maybe lying or manipulating statistics like the BBC has been caught doing and they've done it in the past before with other things.
1: Well, sure. It absolutely makes it difficult. You know, as I said, what you know, what right, right now, people who are unvaccinated for COVID um, constitute the control group. I, I, for example, am in that control group. I had COVID, was never vaccinated. So, therefore, if you have this control group that you can say, look, all of these people who had COVID but never got vaccinated. There is no increase in cancers in those in that group. There is no increased incidence of myocarditis or pericarditis or autoimmune diseases in that group. But if you can't well, def, you know, identify that group because the numbers are so, you know, because as I said, people lied one way or another and now can't come forward and say, well, here's the reality, and you have you're hard pressed to prove one way or another because of the uh, the ease of falsifying, for example, a vaccine card, um, it's pretty tough. So yeah, I do think the water has been significantly muddied.
0: When it comes to integrity, like people that maybe stayed silent knowing that something was wrong, what are your thoughts on that i mean there's no incentive to speak out there's no incentive to speak out like you do there's no incentive for me to do episodes on COVID that are in an opposite narrative than whatever the nih is pulling you just lose everything at that point but to me i feel like those people are the ones you should probably trust the most they're not conspiracy theorists but if you have a doctor and i've spoken to many of them like david bell plenty of people that have long extensive history part of the great barrington declaration that are practicing physicians still and they're openly speaking about how this pandemic has a lot of issues that we need to be talking about. There's no incentive for them to do that. They have everything to lose at that point.
1: It, no, that you're, you're correct. And as I said, I, I came out very, very early, the, the third week of January 2020, when we are just heard about this new virus. And I have been very vocal from day one. Uh, to what end? Um, And I certainly didn't make a dime on it. I did nothing but unleash the slings and arrows uh, on myself, it has been a brutal road, but I truly believe if physicians aren't willing to speak out and say the truth, then God help us. There, this debacle of this pandemic, Robbie, has done more to undermine the faith and confidence of people in our healthcare system and certainly in public health than anything I can imagine. Um, just wait, God help us when the next thing happens, because there will be a next thing. There will be a next public health crisis, Uh, whether it's a pandemic, I can't say, but there will be something uh, where we need people to pay heed, people not only in the United States, but around the globe to listen to us as public health experts. And they're not going to uh, because we have lost their trust and confidence. So what I was doing from the beginning was saying, no, we must speak out. You must be honest even if there's a price to pay, uh, I, I would do it all over again. It was not a fun ride. It was very, very lonely much of the time. Uh, I defended myself seven different times against allegations, against my medical licenses in different states. That is a debilitating and exhausting uh, process uh, when, you, when somebody files a complaint against your license. Uh, I was successful every time, but it is not without a toll. Um, I just, I believe in the words of John Milton, virtue untested is no virtue at all. Um, it's not good enough to stand up all the people who are rallying to get on the bandwagon now, uh, including many, many physicians who kept their mouths shut for the first two and a half or three years who are now out there speaking out, um, to them, I say, you know, it's a little late. Folks, um, we could have used your help, you know, about two and a half years ago. And maybe we would have saved a lot of lives um, by being able to treat and use the early treatment protocols. We certainly would have saved a lot of livelihoods. Uh, and your fellow physicians who really uh took it on the chin during all of this would have would have done a lot better. Um, but frankly, at this point, I'm happy for anybody to speak up and at least um, I guess maybe it's better late than never.
0: What's your experience with the social media platforms with things like shadow banning? And um, obviously, we're both content creators, and I've experienced strikes on YouTube and other platforms, and I get it's their platforms, but there's things that necessarily don't fit the guidelines, and it's that open-door policy that I have a problem with, which is that they don't tell you exactly why, but they make everything a little bit vague in their descriptions, just so if you happen to, I don't know, something they don't like, a name they don't like, like Robert Malone gets flagged off a channel or something like that, but also your reach is limited when you talk about these social media platforms that really start shadow banning you, and you're wondering why people can't follow you, or if you type in Peter McCullough's name, you have to type in Dr. Peter McCullough, the full thing on Instagram for it to even pop up,
1: well, I've, I've been not only shadow banned, I've been banned banned. I was kicked off Twitter for more than a year. Um, and if we're saying things that were absolutely factual, not my opinion, the thing that got me ultimately kicked off Twitter was saying that hydroxychloroquine was FDA approved for use in humans in 1942. Now, that is an irrefutable statement of fact, but they called that misinformation and I got kicked off Twitter for over a year. Um, so it it is capricious. It is, this is based on, you've got, you know, some nameless, faceless quote, fact checkers who have algorithms that they follow. And if you are speaking out against their narrative, they simply shut you down. This is no different, as I said, than what happens in North Korea or Cuba or the former Soviet union. Um, they simply silence you. There is no public forum, um, with regard to them being private companies. Uh, I would say they, they are private companies. The problem is we now have clear-cut evidence, and have for you know well over a year and a half now, that they colluded with the federal government in order to silence people. That's where the problem happens. The federal government cannot silence the free speech of its citizens, nor can it farm out to a private company to do something that which it cannot do itself. So they can't farm out to Twitter or Facebook or Instagram the silencing mechanism. And that is what they did. And it's very clear. So I think with regard to a legal challenge, if this ever went to the Supreme Court, it would not, you know, they they would be found guilty of having breached the uh, First Amendment rights of many, many people. That doesn't help you out much when you're in the thick of it. Um, as you said, if you don't have that platform and you have no way to speak out, it's not only disenfranchising to me as an individual. It's not only an egregious affront to you know Dr. Kelly Victory's First Amendment right, but it's an affront to all Americans' right to hear what I have to say, okay? If they shut me up and they shut Robert Malone up and Peter McCullough up and you up, then Amer- who... The only information people can get is that pre-digested propaganda that the big machine is feeding them. And therefore, you can't make a good decision. You can't make an informed decision. You can't make, you know, know what's the best thing for me and my family, what's going to keep us the safest if all you are allowed to read and access is what the government has decided you can read and access. And that government, again, stood a lot to gain from people buying into the vaccines. They had everything to gain from from this narrative, financially and otherwise. So it it really is a conflict of interest. I think we need to get our arms around it. You are right. uh, Bobby Kennedy has been very vocal about wanting to address this. Uh, not only the big tech censorship, but certainly everything that has gone wrong with regard to the over-involvement of uh, big pharma, um, what he calls agency capture, the idea that all of our uh, agencies, not just CDC and FDA, but the DOJ, FBI, CIA, IRS, that all of them have are owned by outside influences, Uh, including the Chinese Communist Party uh, and and others. And I think he's somebody who at least has been very vocal about wanting to address this aggressively.
0: I got to ask about the misinformation and disinformation board. When I saw that, I go, who are you putting in charge of that? There's no person in the world that's fit to even say this is the right information or this is the wrong information. I mean, you got to have the whole conversation. I believe in freedom of speech. And one thing that's really important is if one amendment falls or just one of these rights that we have falls, they all start falling. I don't have a gun. I don't own a gun, but I respect someone's right to own it. But I go, they never just stop. The goalpost always moves, you know, two weeks to slow the spread. Then we're in there for a couple of months. It always keeps going as far as they can inch it until you put your foot down, but getting people to, you know, put their foot down, or we always get right up to the door and knock on it, but we never fully go in. And that's like the biggest issue, which is like, I don't want people to forget what, It was like when we didn't have vaccines, when we're sitting there waiting and doing all these types of things and dealing with all this trauma and stress, people just move on. Like, I mean, it's hard for people to care about something a week ago, which is why I'm happy that there's someone like yourself. And I didn't know Dr. Drew was on the same side as that because I listened to him in the beginning of the pandemic when he was talking about vaccines, like once vaccines come and everything like that, it's insane to see his change now, at least interviewing many other people about this type of stuff, because I mean, I'm glad there's people out there that are still trying to press on forward and be like, yeah, we need to keep talking about it and educate a little bit.
1: Well, the the show with, with I've known Drew for, for many, many, many years um, and that the show that I do with him really came to be as a result of my censorship. The fact that I had been shut down. Drew was absolutely on the other side. He was pro mask. He was pro social distancing. He was pro vaccine. Uh, He and I were diametrically opposed, and uh, he had me on to really start uh, talking about the data, uh, to say the things that I was not being allowed to say on other social media platforms, and then he invited me to start uh, inviting on a weekly basis some of my my colleagues, my friends, uh, my you know the folks who are in my camp. So I started, you know, it was the the Pierre Corey and Peter uh, McCullough and Harvey Rees and Robert Malone and Bobby Kennedy and and Naomi Wolf and on and on and on. And so we've been doing these shows a couple times a week now for over a year. Um, they've been very very well received. It has allowed people to hear really again, robust, vigorous debate, um, respectful, but vigorous debate uh, between two physicians, Drew and myself, as well as the guests that I bring on. And what's happened over time is that Drew has moved very, very much uh, closer to my side of things. He is uh, very much more concerned uh, about the vaccines. And he has opened my eyes to thinking that perhaps I've been jaded on certain things and, and that some of the confounding variables, for example, in the data. Um, so I think it's been a very, very good dialogue Um, But most importantly, it's allowed people to tune in and hear an hour and 15 minutes once or twice a week of open, honest discussions where we don't just you know, it's not what you hear on CNN or MSNBC or even on Fox. It's not just people stroking each other. It's us saying, wait a minute, I don't know about that. Or let's look at this study and let's you know push back on on each other. Uh, That's what we should have been doing from the very beginning you rarely will come to the best decisions in anything, certainly in medicine, if you only are willing to hear one side.
0: Uh, I know Dr. Drew because uh, he's on one of my favorite podcasts, Your your Mom's House podcast, if you've ever seen that. Um, I've watched his change, which is interesting to me. Like I said, I listened to him in the beginning and I'm glad that there's a actual discourse going on where at least you get some, maybe butting up heads or at least opposing views on some things, but that's what everyone really wants. I mean, do you think independent media, at least after this pandemic, I think a positive that's coming out of it is that there's more eyes that are now looking towards independent media sources, uh, podcasts for instance, but also Substack. I mean, Substack has really taken off, um, In a different direction. I mean, before I really, I heard about it maybe from a couple of writers, but never looked into it. But now I follow so many people on Substack because it's a great place to get someone's individual thoughts and a good article that might be a little bit different than what the mainstream's pumping out.
1: Yeah, I think independent media is the only answer. Um, people have really seen the light. Not only, and again, uh, this this crosses the you know after, after Tucker Carlson got fired from Fox News, I think even conservatives started to say, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, they are censoring," and, and you better believe they are. They are censoring on both sides, on the conservative side and on the liberal news networks. Um, think about how many times you're watching a news segment. Uh, I don't care which side it's on. Again, conservative news networks or, or liberal. And then at the end of that segment, it's you know brought to you by Pfizer. Brought to you by Moderna, brought to you the most common thing, the number of drug ads, pharmaceutical ads that you see in a 30 minute segment on news, you know, news television is overwhelming. Who do you think is controlling the narrative there? Um, so, the only way you can get away from that is on independent news sources. So, I agree with you. I think it's Substacks. I think it's different podcasting. People have got to go elsewhere. And if nothing else, you have got to acknowledge that whatever news source you are listening to is likely highly filtered, uh, pre digested. And, you know, I would encourage people to listen all across the board, don't just listen to one news outlet including to me, you know, don't just listen to me, listen to everybody else and make your own decision. Figure out who's paying people. I can tell you right now, you know, if you compared my salary to Sanjay Gupta, my salary to uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, uh, my salary to, you know, I'm not doing this for money, okay? I don't get paid to do these things. I've done everything I've done for three and a half years for free. I was the daily voice on KABC radio out of Los Angeles every day, the doctor hour, for almost two years of the pandemic until they decided they didn't want me to say anything negative about vaccines. I did that show every day for free. I did it as a public. So look to see who's getting paid and who's not and what their motivation is. My entire motivation here is to expose people to what I see as the truth, what I believe is the truth and what I believe they have been uh not allowed to access what has been hidden from them. And if people want to debate me, I love that. Tell me why you think I'm wrong. Tell me why you think I've misinterpreted the data or misunderstood the risk or whatever it is. But shutting people down, you know, shadow banning them, you know, putting them in the penalty box on YouTube like you've just had all that that is a an attempt to get you to self-censor. They're hoping that you're scared enough now, Robbie, that you won't post that or you'll modify who you're going to interview, that you'll modify what you're willing to post lest you end up with another timeout. Um, Don't fall for it. Don't let them get away with it. Find a different platform.
0: And uh, I got to ask about the radio thing. They really, did they listen to you before you mentioned anything about vaccines? Like, did they take your advice before? And then when you started talking bad about vaccines, they just took you out.
1: Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, I was a trusted voice, not just on COVID. I was their go-to person for all things related to disaster. Every single mass shooting, I'd be on for hours. They'd call me at the last minute. Can you come on and talk about this? Every bombing, every national dis- you know—natural disaster, every outbreak of measles, uh, you know, uh, whatever it was. And again, for nearly two years during the pandemic. Until they became, their mothership, uh, who owns the station, became concerned that they were going to get backlash about saying anything negative about the vaccines. So they asked me uh, if I would stop saying anything. I, they said, we, we can't have you say anything bad about the vaccines, nothing negative. And I said, well, <laughs> if I've been, I do this show for free. I do it only to bring truth. To ask me, you know, you're now attempting to censor me. Have you lost your mind? Uh, and I I never I said, absolutely not. I will continue to speak the truth, uh, even if I lose this platform as a place to do it. Um, and I think now, uh, two years, a year and a half uh, later since I've been on there, when every single thing I said has now been proven to be true. Um, I think you know, they're, they're the ones with egg on their faces. Um, but I think, again, I didn't get you know, fired from a, a, a lucrative contract. Uh, these are things that I was doing as a public health service. I appreciate you inviting me on. I think all of these platforms are important. If we reach a handful of people who, if nothing else, maybe hear something, hear one little tidbit that they didn't know about, learn one little piece about hydroxychloroquine or learn something about the vaccines or learn something about censorship uh, or get exposed to something that they they never considered before, then as far as I'm concerned, I've done my job.
0: I appreciate that. And Dr. Victory, it was a pleasure having you on my show to talk. Um, Is there a place where people can find any of your links?
1: Yeah, I'm on my only social media um, profile is Twitter. I'm at Dr. Kelly Victory. Um, unlike all the people who hide their actual identities, I'm very transparent at Dr. Kelly Victory. Uh, and then my the website I'm associated with is earlycovidcare.org. Um, that's a website that I'm associated with with other names like Harvey Reich and Peter McCullough and Robert Malone and Pierre Corey and, and many others who were champions during the uh, the early part of the pandemic. That website, earlycovidcare.org has great resources. Lots, I mean, thousands of articles are posted there on everything from masks to uh, vaccines. There are protocols there for uh, treatment of vaccine injuries and uh, resources to help to find a physician if you're looking for some additional support.
0: And I'll link those in the video description. And I appreciate the time. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode out of the blank.